And I'm kind of in the same boat, right, with a lot of other people. They are even those who've been in the space for five years, right, which are like OGs, they've been around for a while. But at the same time, the space is evolving every single day, every week. So we're all constantly learning and we're all constantly evolving. And blockchain is, it's really, you know, like, like they say, right, it's digital ledger. It's, it's being able to track processes and transactions um, digitally and in a, an immutable way, right? So it's it's transparent. You, you can't delete and manipulate the blockchain. When it's on there, it's on there forever. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Laura Pamatian. Laura has spent 20 years in domestic and international marketing and sales of luxury real estate and vertical real estate development. She currently advises on AI blockchain technology company with the development of their machine learning and sales matching platform. Laura is also a member of the Foundation of International Blockchain Real Estate Government Blockchain Association, and Real Estate Committee for Florida's Blockchain Business Association. As most of our listeners know, I'm in technology today and I love finances. So seeing these two different worlds blend is something that I'm super excited to learn about. So I'll just stop there and say, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm thrilled to be here. I am so appreciative, honored, really. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll start you with the difficult questions. What's your favorite ice cream? Well, my favorite ice cream is cookies and cream. And that's because Oreos are my favorite and you mix Oreos with ice cream. And I mean, I don't, I don't think it's any better than that. Yeah. <laughs> so we, that's my favorite. We, we are recording this the first week of February and I did whole 30 for January. And that was the first thing I ate after, um, after my whole 30 was cookies and cream ice cream. So I love that answer. Yeah. Love that. It's my favorite. <laughs> now you're you're based in South Florida. So if we ever go down to South Florida, do you have a favorite ice cream shop or parlor that you would recommend? Well, you know, it's so funny because I I love Sloan's. Um, when I go to Sloan's, I it's really funny because carrot cake is something that I also love. And the only place I've ever been able to get carrot cake ice cream is at Sloan's. So if I go there, it's usually that, but typically I go to like a frozen yogurt place and I add my own Oreos and, yep. you know, I try to keep it light. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. So Sloan's and the carrot cake, I'll have to be on the lookout next time I'm down that way. Hmm. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So today I am in consulting. I have a company called Height Zero Real Estate and Consulting, and we basically advise developers, uh, commercial real estate owners, sponsors on the benefits and the options that they have in using blockchain and AI tech in their projects. Um, I have come out of a background of, you know, I have 20 years in real estate and development and I started my career on the island of Maui back in uh, very early 2000 when the market was amazing. I mean, Maui was such a special place. It still is, um, but it was a very special place then. 
uh, we were in, you know, I was with a general, I was in general brokerage selling general real estate um, to, as you can imagine, second, third home, fourth home buyers, um, investors, right? A lot of investment product, condo hotel product, they would buy and rent out while they're not there. So very sophisticated buyers. And then I started into um, new construction and pre-construction with the broker that I was with. We had several projects that we represented. And then I was fortunate to get on with Ritz-Carlton. And that was uh, with RCDC. And they were building a residential product that also at the time was fractional. So they did their one twelfth interest. Um, so that was, you know, that was really a, an interesting and fun project to be on. And then I kind of niched into that, that type of product. I ended up in the Caribbean. I went and worked with a developer that was doing a Mandarin Oriental and a Berge product, um, also a Fairmont product that was on Anguilla. And we just, um, you know, the timing of the market um, was was a little bit off. So I ended up back in the States and continued working on that type of project, you know, that type of product, luxury branded um, resort, residential, ended up back in the Caribbean on Grand Hyatt. And I've, I worked on a W and I was heading out to, to Nashville actually to work on a Four Seasons project, which is beautiful and has since really come around. But this was right when COVID started and I got the call that they were shutting the building down. So I had an apartment and I was packed up and I was ready to go. And, you know, I had to kind of unwind all of that and ended up here in South Florida um, trying to figure out what the next thing was. You know, am I going to continue in chasing projects, which is amazing. You know, I have 12 projects that I've worked on and it's been great. Or do I, you know, try to figure out something else right now? And I had plenty of time. So I also advocate against child trafficking. I think I might have told you that. And I was on a legislation call and we were talking about technology and blockchain and, and how technology is um, benefiting and, and trying to combat a lot of what's happening in that space. And one of the girls and I started a conversation and uh, you know, she said, you really should look into what's happening in real estate. And that's what I did. That's what I did. I buried myself in, you know, everything that I could find about what was happening in the space, which, you know, you're really on YouTube and you're on podcasts and you're, you know, you're doing a lot of due diligence on your own, talking to people, trying to really figure out and vet a lot of the tech that's out there um, on your own. And that's, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. We joked when we first met that I think you've lived in like all the dream locations in the, in the, the West coast here, you've lived in Hawaii, the Caribbean, South Florida, you were coming to Nashville where I'm recording today and it's 30 degrees outside and you were telling me it's 75. So maybe it was the warm weather God saying you need to stay in warm weather there. Um, but when you were talking about like Ritz Carlton and Fairmont and the one twelfth ownership, is that, is that timeshares or, or what were those? Yeah, so with Ritz Carlton, they had a product. It was a fractional type of project. So you could you could buy in to one twelfth of an interest in a particular residence. So they were offering whole ownership, right, upwards of ten million dollars. But then you could also buy 
a fraction. So basically you would get three weeks in this particular location on Maui, right at the Ritz in a particular residence, and it would cost you X and you could access that residence, you know, in three week blocks out of each year. And that was the traditional type of fractional ownership. You know, now we do it way different, right? We talk about fractional ownership and we're talking about tokenization and all these other things. But at the time it was very similar to timeshare, but more of a extended type of ownership. Yeah. And I think as we bridge into the conversation of tokenization, that's really a good analogy there where you were owning one twelfth of a project. And it used to be that that was on a piece of paper and now it's going to be on some kind of digital ledger and things like that. But when we're, when you were thinking about timeshares and I don't know much about timeshares, so I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Were there investors that bought into that? Or were those mostly folks that they knew they were going to go to vacation in Hawaii for three weeks a year, and they just wanted a consistent place that they could go stay? Yeah, that's typically what it was. So those that loved Hawaii, they loved the location and Ritz-Carlton had, you know, they were offering at the time portfolio of products. So you could access Hawaii, but then maybe you also wanted to go to another location. And it was really the, the end user, right? That they want to go and experience the time and be there and um, secure time, you know, whether it was over spring break or Christmas holiday or whatever it was, you know, some of them family traditions, they go to that location every year, same time of year. So it really worked out. So, yeah. Did you ever run into any like code issues or legal issues with the local governments there? Because it, I mean, it almost sounds like a corporation doing a short-term rental in that sense. Were there any issues there that you all faced? No, because they had, um, and, and that's a great question. I don't, I don't know the details of that, but um, with, you know, with Ritz and some of the other product that you could offer like a condo hotel type of offering where you can rent out a portion of your residence, or you can rent out your residence a portion of time during the year. Um, and there were certain requirements and, and things like that, but but with Ritz, it was, you know, it was more so, I mean, everything was above board. They, everything was done the right way. So gotcha. No gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's shift now into what you do today over at Height Zero. And I want to frame up this conversation with, I know enough about cryptocurrencies to sound really smart to my mother and blockchain and tokenization, but really stupid to other folks out there. And I really think it's because this industry is moving so fast. In my W-2, we have a phrase out there that the world is moving faster than it ever has, but slower than it ever will be. And there's no better example of that than this whole area of blockchain, cryptocurrencies, tokenizations, NFTs, all of that thing. So um, I don't know when this will air. Again, we're, we're shooting this in, in the 1st of February, probably by mid-March. So some of the stuff that we talk about might not even be around or there might it might have been replaced by the time we air it six weeks from now. So I'll, I'll frame up the conversation like that and just say, start us off at the high level. What is blockchain? Yeah. And that's such a great point, right? There's, and, and I'm kind of in the same boat, right? With a lot of other people there, even those who've been in the space for a five years, right? Which are like OGs, they've been around for a while, but at the same time, the space is evolving every single day, every week. So we're all constantly learning and we're all constantly evolving. And blockchain is, it's really, you know, like, like they say, right? It's digital ledger. It's, it's being able to track processes and transactions um, digitally and in a, 
an immutable way, right? So it's it's transparent. You you can't delete and manipulate the blockchain when it's on there. It's on there forever, and you you know you really have to make um, transparent types of of um, edits, right? Everything is transparent, and you can see everything that happens. So it's a very trustless, right? Trustless type of system where you just know it is what it is um, when it's on blockchain. Yeah. So, uh, so, so I want to kind of define a couple terms here. Ledger, from my understanding, is basically a record of things that have happened and transactions that have happened. So when I go and buy five shares of IBM stock or whatever it is, I, I've never received a piece of paper that says I own that. But somewhere it's on my broker's ledger that says, hey, I do own these. And when it's time to pay a dividend, pay it back. The problem is there's only one source of that record typically. And it's wherever I bought and sold those shares at that broker. So when we're talking about blockchain, it's it's basically that. Am I, am I in line there? Is that kind of the right way to think about it? Yeah, that's right. That's the right way to think about it. Yeah. Okay. Then help us understand what does immutable mean? Because I, I hear words like immutable and fungible a lot when we're talking about um, uh, uh, blockchain. And um, I'm a simple guy, so I, I'm not really sure I understand what those mean. So what does immutable mean? Immutable means is you just can't change it, right? So it goes on the blockchain and it stays there. You can't delete it, um, make changes to it. So it's very straightforward. You, you it gets recorded and it's recorded as it is and gotcha. then every other, yeah everything um that follows everything that's subsequent gets um built on top of that so you're always you always have a reference back to that particular moment in time and that particular recording gotcha yeah and so my understanding of that is that this is done by software and so you're not relying on a human to write down $120 for IBM shares, the software is doing that and it's dispersing that across a number of different areas. So there's not one source of, there is one source of truth, but it's not one ledger, uh, one single recording of that truth. Is that kind of the best way to think about that? Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of when, when they say distributed, right? It's, it's amongst uh, uh, many, it's recorded in many locations, right? Many different nodes are called, but they're computers really. And it's just recorded in many locations where it's not, not just one, it's not just done once so that it can be manipulated. If it's manipulated, all of the other computers can see and determine the manipulation and, you know, basically identify it. Okay. Um, so when we think about blockchain, most folks immediately go to everything that has to do with blockchain as a cryptocurrency. So they immediately start thinking like Ethereum and Bitcoin and whatever the Dogecoin, whatever the coin is of the day. Could you help us talk through some of the differences between blockchain and then cryptocurrency? And then we'll shift to like, what is a token? They are used a lot interchangeably, right? But cryptocurrency um, is all... It, it comes from blockchain, right? So blockchain, um, cryptocurrency exists because of blockchain, right? So cryptocurrency is not necessarily a token. So you have different types of tokens, right? You have utility tokens and governance tokens and security tokens and, and NFTs, right? Non-fungible tokens. So there's all these different types of 
tokens that can exist on blockchain, but not necessarily be cryptocurrency. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the best way I try to describe that to people is think about it in layers. So like at layer one is the blockchain. It's the underlying technology that captures a transaction and distributes across different nodes or across the ledger. And then a cryptocurrency or a token sits on top of that and is a symbol of that transaction. So it is basically your ownership of whatever that transaction was or your recorded deed on there. Is that kind of in line or am I missing anything there? So it's really great to, you know, to describe it like that. I, I'm not in tech. I don't, I wish that I did understand at a very deep level, but I just have the, you know, the 30,000 foot view like you and, and in that, um, you know, when it comes to the development of tech and the layers, layer one, layer two, you know, and all of the other, um, chains and, and interoperabilities and all of that. Um, it's not my forte. Yeah. And, oh, and no. it is a deep, deep rabbit hole. Like when I first learned that there were different layers to the blockchain, I was like, yeah. holy smokes. And I got to layer three and I just kind of stopped because yeah. it's, and that's where the space is really moving quick is there's yeah. some inefficiencies in some of the earlier pro the ways that the blockchain was written at layer one level. And so people are trying to evolve it and make it better. But to do that, they have to use the underlying technology and it gets deep quick. So I, I agree. I made it to about layer three and I was like spinning because that's not what I spend a majority of my time learning about. And if you don't spend that time all day, every day in that, then it can get tricky. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the same note, there's many blockchains, right? It's, a lot of people don't realize that it's not just one blockchain. It's many blockchains and trying to figure out a way to connect them for different purposes and, you know, different, you know, whatever, whatever the, that, that, uh, might be is, is, uh, is also a factor, right? So, um, one blockchain may have certain benefits that another another doesn't. Um, so yeah. That's a really good point. So, um, how does this all revolve around real estate? Because um, I know that you you were kind of in this space learning and helping develop real estate projects on the blockchain. But talk to us a little bit about where you're seeing this applied in real estate. Yeah, it's so interesting because there's, you know, using the tech now, you we we can access, there's just so many benefits with commercial real estate and being able to democratize the investor pool, right. For that, for that particular asset. So for instance, I think the easiest way is to just kind of give you an example of how we're using the tech in that if you have a, um, let's just say a hotel asset and you have equity in that asset, you know, we can use the tech to, to, to securitize that equity right? Based on, there's many steps in this, but the simple version is we can securitize that equity and access that equity now and give investors the opportunity to participate in that investment. And in that allows the developer to recapitalize and redeploy that capital or reinvest that capital in that, in that particular building, or, you know, maybe build something else or whatever it might be. So, um, the first property that was was tokenized uh, was the Aspen St. Regis, if you're familiar with that project. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, like, like they did, it was, um, it was, you know, they needed $18 million and they wanted to use that to reinvest in the property. And they tokenized $18 million and started with 18 investors and they issued that um, $18 million in $1 denominated tokens. So each investor was provided 1 million tokens. And because of the regulation that they had filed, which was a Reg D, they had a one-year lockup. So they had to hold that investment for a year and then they could go and trade on a secondary market, an ATS, um, those tokens. And those 18 original investors has, has now turned into over 200 right, investors that, that actually own tokens, right? Own, own that, that Aspen coin is what it's called. So it's really interesting and it's, it's giving, um, you know, sp- particularly on the secondary market with retail investors that are able to then invest at that point, the opportunity to come in and own a piece of the St. Regis Aspen. I mean, who, who could ever do that before? Yep. You know, who could ever do that before? I mean, it's just amazing the the possibilities and and the opportunities that are out there, you know, and they're tokenizing all kinds of things. I mean, you think about, you know, if someone, I mean, I don't know, I'm I'm a huge Yankees fan, right? I, I love baseball and I love the Yankees. And if someone tokenized Yankee Stadium, like I'd be lining up and wanting to buy into that. And I, you know, that's that's like true blue, you know, and those those are the kinds of opportunities that that people are going to have, hopefully, as this industry starts to evolve, you look at the, not just the opportunity of upside, right, with the investment, you buy the token, and then in three to five years, or whatever it might be, you have potential upside. But also, you know, there's revenue stream that could be attached and baked into that token, right? So if you have, um, I don't know, multifamily, residential multifamily building, and you own a, a, a portion of that through tokenization, you know, there might be dividends that are paid, right? Monthly or quarterly. And there's there could be revenue stream coming off of those tokens that you own now in that commercial building. And then, you know, eventually there might be upside that you could realize. So there's, there's all different ways to utilize the tech. Um, one thing that we're starting to see, which I, I absolutely love, I think that, you know, putting social cause behind behind anything, right? That's so important. And what we're we're starting to explore is in development, in new build, right? Having those who are participating in the build. So, say a um, developer was going to build a hotel property, and um, they hired the contractors and the contractors hired the subs and all of, you know, all the people that are working to finish the building, right? So the painters and the, and the carpenters and all, everyone, um, that's involved in the creation of that building could potentially have, um, access to the tokens, right. As, as compensation maybe, right. And then, and then they, they're owners in that building and they have vested interest, right, in, the, in the, the success of that building. And, you know, when it's completed, they're able to realize the, the success of that, right? The dividends that might be paid on that hotel or multifamily residential or whatever it was that they created. So there's a lot of things that, um, there's just so many things that we can do that are, you know, 
pretty special, could be pretty special. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about this space is the creativity you can have in real estate. And this just adds another layer of creativity. I want to highlight one of the things you said though, is this idea of recapitalization. So for our listeners out there, think of it this way. You own a home for $100,000 and it's appreciated to $500,000 because of the market has just been crazy the past two years. You want access to that capital or that equity that's in the property. You really only have one option. You go to a bank or you go to a lender and find a way to do a heat lock against that or home equity line of credit or cash out refi. If the bank says, no, we're not doing that anymore, then you're kind of running out of options. Well, the larger your properties get, the harder those become. Some would say easier, but the harder those become. It's harder to underwrite or or give out a loan for $900 billion, for example. So tokenization allows you to say, basically, hey, I see that you have that access. I'm going to sell you rights to that access to a number of different investors. So it opens up your pool of the number of people that could be invested in access to capital. And in exchange, I'm going to give you this token. And this token represents your interest in that property. And you know it's uh, non-fungible or immutable because it's written on the blockchain. So no one ever could come to you and say that you didn't own this. And from what I was hearing, the Ritz, they basically said, and after a year, you could sell that token if you want to. Sell it to Laura, sell it to a an investor abroad that might want to access American properties but doesn't have the, the way to do it. Or sell it to someone else and exchange it for Bitcoin if that's what you think you want to do. But it gives you the flexibility of opening up borrowers to equity in your your asset, whatever that is. And then on the turn, when you're trying to liquidate it, it it opens up a number of different options as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's exactly right. Right. It's a really great analogy. Um, and it was, it was St. Regis, right. Um, the, the hotel product in Aspen, but one thing that, um, you mentioned is there's, there's a lot of different platforms out there, right. There's that are tokenizing product and they're, they're all doing it different ways. Right. And that's kind of our job is to know what's the right, what's the right approach for each developer and what, you know, what's the right fit. Um, some of them are using NFT, right. To, you know, issuing their shares in NFTs, um, not necessarily here in the U S but they, they are exploring that overseas here in the U S we're issuing security tokens. We securitize the offering and then we issue security tokens. The nice thing about that is that if for some reason your security token is lost, right, you, we can, they can right through blockchain, right? Know exactly what shares are yours and they can reissue those shares, right? That's what's really unique, particularly to, to security tokens versus NFTs because NFTs, that's a non-fungible token. Like you lose it and you know, then what? So that's, those are some of the things that they're trying to work through here. I think also in the US in fractionalization and issuing fractional shares of, um, you know, using NFTs versus, using NFTs to transfer whole ownership, like a single family home, right? Or a whole ownership of a condominium residence or something like that. There is no, there isn't fractionalization of interest in that. So 
maybe in that type of case, an NFT could work, right? Or maybe that would be more appropriate. And there are instances right now that they're 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 working through that, issuing NFTs for single family homes and and recording that on blockchain and then trying to figure out, you know, how, you know, the the recording of that transfer or that trade is still recorded the same at the county level um, traditionally, but you also have the NFT in your wallet and, you know, eventually there'll be, you know, there'll be opportunity for that. But yeah, that's like a whole nother package, right? It's like a whole nother. I I was on a podcast one time talking through that and um, I'm a little over my ski tips when I start talking deeds and land trust and all that kind of stuff. But essentially that's what we were talking about is imagine the reason why uh, buying a home takes so long is two reasons. One, it's the bank loan. The bank has to do all their underwriting, which takes forever. And then the second thing is they have to go verify title and all this kind of stuff. Now, good title companies can do that pretty quickly, but imagine that all of that was written written on a coin or a token where the title company could just pull and on that token is the history of the property. So that property has all its history written in there. So now if I wanted to sell my home, it could be as easy as Laura calling me up and saying, hey, I'm interested in your home. Here's my offer. And if I accept, she transfers me the money, whether it be cryptocurrency or fiat currency in US dollars. And I transfer the her the token and we've just cut out all those middlemen involved. And I would argue that it could be more... Um, more safe because it is non-fungible and immutable, which means no one can go in there and mess up the record after it's written once. Um, Are you working on anything interesting around that today where people are putting up buildings and they're selling tokens that might give whoever buys the token like access to the building or special benefits for being an early investor or anything like that? Yeah, they are working through a lot of that. Um, you're seeing some of that play out in, in metaverse, right? In the metaverse space. And I am still at the very beginning. I have excellent resources, right? For a lot of this, I have very well-versed resources that are vivid, deep in that space. Um, but for me to speak to it, it's like you said, it's a little over my skis, <laughs> but nonetheless, the, you know, the idea is that they would create a digital twin, right? You have the the product here in the real world, and then you create a digital twin in the metaverse of the property, and then you can issue NFTs to access or, um, you know, maybe there's amenities, maybe there's certain benefits that are attached as, as an owner that you have that you can then access through, you know, through the metaverse or even in in the real world, you would just go into the metaverse and, and work through that particular offering or whatever it might be. And then you can, um, benefit in, in the real world, right. In in real life. So it's really interesting. There's other opportunities in the metaverse for like, for instance, if you think through a new construction build, right, you have, you have a developer who's offering, or they want to build a brand new um, residential product in the Caribbean, right? And you're in the U.S. or you're in the U.K. or you're in Canada, right? And you don't you don't necessarily you're not there to see the progress, right? But 
in the metaverse, they're creating a digital twin. So then you can go into the metaverse and you can see, oh, the foundation's there. Oh, they're on the first floor. Oh, they're on the second floor. Oh, now they've built out the clubhouse or the pool or whatever it might be. And then you can go in and see your actual residence and you can see the finishes and you can make decisions and you can see, you know, what the natural light looks like. And there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of opportunity in the metaverse for, for possible you know, applications of tech like that, where people feel like they are connected, they know what's going on, they can see it, you know, see what's really happening in real time, um, because the developer decided to provide this really incredible resource for those who are investing in the product, right? So yeah. those kinds of things are interesting. Yeah, two things I'd say on that is one, and first of all, I'm not offering any kind of investment advice here, right? I, I've studied the metaverse enough to kind of understand it at a high level. But when you see Nike investing in the metaverse, Facebook changing their name to the metaverse, Apple, Google, uh, Mike, uh, Microsoft, all investing in the metaverse space, then you know it's real. And if you don't understand the metaverse and you're like, who would sit in front of a computer all day and live in a digital world, then you're not the audience. But you have to understand that, you know, there are kids out there that are eight to 12 and that is them. That is them. They're, they're uh, learning online all day. They're spending time after that to join uh, these games where they've got friends from all over the world whom they've never met, but they know very, very intimately because they're spending so much time with them. Um, and there's interesting real estate projects around. I, I know Sandbox is a, a big one today that well, Snoop Dogg is invested in. There's a lot of different folks invested in. Um, but the second thing I would say is really this, this idea of in the physical world, having extra benefits to your token holders. So I see things like somebody throws up a skyscraper in downtown Miami or on South Beach where it's just beautiful and they've got all these different amenities and things like that. And to fund that project, they might go to people in pre-sale condos. And oh, by the way, if you buy a condo presale, you're going to get this token. And this token is going to get you access to this amenity, to this concert, to this thing that's going on in Miami. Um, another example I'll throw, and I heard this the other day, is think about all these independent artists out there from a music perspective that are coming up. They used to have to go to the record label who would take 80% of whatever they did because they made the initial investment not knowing it'd pan out. Now they could go and they could sell uh, tokens to anybody that's following them on SoundCloud or Spotify or YouTube or things like that. And what those tokens would represent is, hey, you get access to these shows. I do a live q and I will give you a percent of the royalties that I get from touring. You get access to merchandise. You could just cut it up so many different ways. So I'm, I'm, I would challenge people out there that are doing development specifically or trying to learn about tokenization and blockchain to think about what's the value you could bring to somebody that buys a token? And, and then how do you deliver that? Because if you're ahead of this curve, many, many will follow you and you'll be an expert in that space. So I'll just stop there. A anything to add there uh, on my long, long tangent? No, you know, I just kind of brought up a few things. Like I was thinking, wow, it would be really, you know, next level is the developer creates the digital twin and then all of the owners, you know, maybe you have a 200 unit condominium building in the Caribbean or whatever it is. And then those 200 owners, they have access to each other, right? And they can network. And then beyond that, right? They can go and potentially sell their property, right? And have this incredible resource to show to the buyer, right? Okay. 
you want to see my property? It's in the metaverse. Like, go take a look. You can go in and you can look through, through, you know, you can walk through the actual residence. You can walk through the amenities. You can walk the beach. You can do all of these things that, you know, and see if, if you know, really what you're, what you're investing in um, before you even decide to go and, and explore it. And that's going to open a lot of opportunity, right? It's going to open a lot of doors and, and, you know, to, to things that you just, you know, if I want to buy a place in Greece, I would never, I would have to go to Greece. I'd have to find a realtor. I'd have to find, you know, figure out what the right neighborhood is. I mean, this, this is going to change a lot of things, right? Yep. So yep. it's amazing. The, the last thing I'd say on that too, is when we're talking about recapitalization, I was, I was having a conversation the other day where somebody said, and I don't know, I didn't verify this number, but there's something like $20 trillion of equity sitting in American homeowners homes today that they're not accessing. And imagine if we were able to tokenize that so they could get quick access to it and have the liquidity from a number of different buyers to get the money and then a number of different buyers to sell that token whenever they wanted to. It's it's going to be a crazy space there. Um, before I transition us, anything else we missed on or that you you think would be valuable to touch on before we kind of go into our last section here? No, I just think that, you know, just like what you just said in that you have single family home opportunities, you know, using blockchain and tokenization, and then you have the commercial side and being able to issue securities, right? There's, 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 there's a lot of difference. There's companies out there right now tokenizing mortgages, right? They're creating NFTs and they're, they're issuing them and attaching them to homes. And then they're issuing mortgages on them or, or home equity lines, like you were saying. So it's really fascinating. I think in, you know, with us, we deal with developers, right? And we are, we're dealing in the commercial space primarily and, and also in residential development. But the, the important thing is that, you know, for, for me doing all of this due diligence, spending months and months and months, you know, of time to, to vet a lot of these companies, these tokenization platforms, the attorneys, the secondary market providers, right? The, who, you know, who's helping with the, the creation of entities? Are you overseas? Are, are you know, where, what jurisdictions are you going to be presenting? And there's just so much to the, to tokenization for a developer and for us to be able to provide all of that information quickly, easily manage the project, take, take the project off of their hands, right? So they can go and do what they're good at, right? Which is continuing to develop relationships and develop product and all of these other things and leave the, the, the ins and outs of the actual process of tokenization, managing those relationships, putting them, you know, in touch with the right potential platform, depending on what their offering is, um, the marketing of that, of that property. So it's just, it's a little bit different on that side. And that's kind of a little bit more of what, of what we're doing, but I do see tremendous potential and all kinds of things happening in the residential space. Yeah, this is going to be extremely disruptive. And if you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, man, that's really interesting. I would just tell you that it changes so quickly and there's so many new projects on there that it does add a ton of value just to sit down with someone like Laura that lives this every day and can help you navigate some of the ins and outs of it. Um, so Laura, I want to switch this to the last round here. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what's your favorite book or what's something that you've read recently that's giving you a paradigm shift? So my favorite book, and this goes this goes way back. It's um, it's called the the Four Agreements 
I don't know if you're familiar, but um, yeah, so that book changed my life, right? Initially. And I can't tell you how many books, how many times I've given that book away, right? I'll go and buy it and I'll have it for a little while. And then I'll talk to somebody and I just see like, they, they could use this book, right? Like who couldn't use that book? And it's a small book. It's a very easy read. Don Miguel Ruiz, Ruiz is the, is the author. And, um, it's just one of my favorites. I've heard about that book so much that I actually got it, um, here like two weeks ago. So it's, it's on oh, my to do read list. Yeah, you love it. Such an um, easy. Read. Yeah. And, and it is small. So I I've, I've seen it's only like 80 pages, so it should be pretty quick. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day and the habits that you have. What are some of the things that you do every day? Well, the first thing I do is I, I work out. That's like, that's me time. I I have to do it every day. I wake up and I get out of the house and I go and do it. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, it doesn't get done. So the very first priority of my day is taking care of me and my well-being. And I think that it might sound selfish or maybe there's, you know, but I, I don't know. I feel like if you, if you can't do for yourself and if you're not prepared to be completely empowered in yourself, then how can you contribute to others around you and to the world? And, you know, and I really do believe that, that self-care and, and well-being is so important. Um, and I've lived that for a very long time. And I feel like, that's something I'll take with me for the rest of my life. Hopefully, you know? Yeah. I think most of our listeners know I'm an Ironman triathlete, so I can definitely get behind the idea of working out every day. And the first thing in the morning, um, our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received to believe in yourself. You know, I, I think that it took me a long time to really appreciate that because, you know, when you're, when you're in your own world, in your own head, right. In your own space, it's very difficult to see your own potential, right. And, and to see what you're really capable of, particularly when you're, you know, there's all these other things going on the emotions and things that might've happened. But I think just believing and truly believing in, in what you can accomplish. Right. I think my mom, I guess this is probably really where it stems from, right? My mom always said, you know, you can do anything. You can do anything you want. You can do anything you want. And I heard that my whole upbringing, my whole life, right? So I don't know. I mean, part of that turned into, you know, you can do whatever you want. So, you know, I did, you know, and whether that was, you know, not doing what she wanted and doing what I wanted, I I really took it to heart. So I think maybe, you know, probably that it's just really believing that, that you really can, you know, accomplish really big things. If you do believe in yourself, put it in the universe. And I, I do think that the universe helps to support that. I love that. And I think so much time we spend only with ourselves that we know our own defaults, but not a lot of people do not, not many people really go home thinking about you and the things that you've done. So you've got to believe in yourself and not worry about what other people are probably thinking because our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Um, I think that I would probably say the relationship that I have with my family, you know, when I, a typical teenager, I was so, you know, I, I don't know how my mom put up with me, but I got into college and I had a friend who had a very close relationship with her mother. And I was like, wow, that's strange. 
you know, that's really odd. How are you close with your mom? Like I'm me and my mom are like at odds all the time. And it really taught me, you know, seeing that how important it was. And I think that that's really the most important thing to me is that I have a very good relationship with my family and that it's, it's something that I, I go to all the time, right? I fall back on it. I use it to propel me forward. I mean, it's just, there's just so many things that it's just reliable and, and I don't know. I mean, it's so important to me. So I probably that. Yeah. I think we're aligned there. Cause my teenage years, I was an awful, awful child and I'm super, super close to my family, especially as they age, um, more and more. <laughs> so I, I love that answer. Our, um, last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, I, you know, this kind of goes back to the family thing. I, I definitely choose my dad. You know, I lost my dad, um, unexpectedly a while back. And I mean, anything particularly ice cream with him would be the best, you know, he's, he's hilarious. I mean, we laugh every single day and, you know, and I think laughter is the most important part of my day. So I would, I would do that. I'd have a full ice cream with him. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm sure he's looking down, very proud of you and everything that you've accomplished and taking on new challenges like learning this new world of blockchains, tokens, and et cetera. If our listeners wanted to learn more from you though, where is the best place we could point them? Yeah, I appreciate that. So my website is heightzerorealestate.com. My contact information is in there and there's, you know, there's a overview of information, but mostly just, um, probably there would be the easiest, my website. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And Laura, I look forward to seeing all your success and having you back on soon, because I'm sure by the time we hang up this phone, there will be lots of things that have changed and that we could both discuss. So look forward to having you back on soon. I so appreciate you, Matt. Thank you so much. And and keep doing what you're doing. You're just, you know, pioneering into the space is so important and, and spreading the word and, um, Yeah, I I just appreciate you doing this. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.